What's up, y'all? My name is Jasmine McLean, and I'm your host for Rolling Out Health IQ, a show where we talk about being in touch with your health and your body. Beautiful Black people, we have a special guest tonight, someone who has an impactful story I hope we all can learn from. Her name is Melody Narain Blackwell. Hi, Melody. Nice meeting you. Hi there, Jasmine. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we are so excited and we hope that others can take from your story today. Um, we're going to jump right into it. Can you tell us what happened and share a little bit about your misdiagnosis of Crohn's disease? Sure. So I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 2018, but I had been having symptoms since I was about five or six years old that were clearly indicative of there being something wrong with my digestion. The fact that my, my father's side of the family was Indian, my mom's side is black, digestive diseases just weren't known. And if there's something wrong with your stomach or if there's an issue processing food, it always went back to what did you eat? And that was the reasoning for challenges. It was always like, okay, you ate this, you're using the bathroom, it's taking you a long time. Well, you need to um, eat more fiber infused food. It's something that you ate. And so we just didn't know. We didn't have the ability to understand that this was connected to something that was more indicative of something that could be severe. Around the age of 13, I actually started having rectal bleeding. And that did send some alarms and triggers to my mom to get me to a gastroenterologist. And she did. I went there and she shared that I had had these really severe stomach aches since I was a child. And that now I was having rectal bleeding and they did a procedure that it traumatized me a bit because I just wasn't prepared for what was going to happen. But I had a flex sigmoid. And from there, the physician said all I had was internal hemorrhoids and that I needed to eat more fiber. And the fact that I had rectal bleeding, that should have been a very clear signal for the physician to take me on a different diagnostic journey. Now, in, I might not have been diagnosed within the, like five or six months. It might have taken a year of like management and monitoring and understanding. But I believe that that was around the time that I really should have been diagnosed with the disease because I had pre been presenting for years with those symptoms. We'll fast forward many years forward. And I had been managing the bleeding never stopped. It would, it would stop for periods of time, but it was intermittent. So I would have a break from it and then it would rev back up again. And then I would try to manage it with diet and figure this out because in my head, I trusted the physician and I went right back to what I was told. And that was that I had internal hemorrhoids and I knew that. And that's what I was holding fast to because I trusted my provider. And I was a child when I was told this and Throughout the next 25 plus years, that is what I resolved to until about 2016. And I started having these stomach aches that that were more progressive, like long term, instead of for a few days, it might be for months. And in 2017, from 2017 to about 20, 2018, 2016 to 2018, I had like a two year stretch of stomach ache. If, if there's 365 days in a year, I probably had 300 days of stomach aches. Yeah. And I had went to see different physicians and I ended up having my son in 2013 
And after I had him, I dealt with all these weird bouts of swelling. So between the stomach aches and the swelling, uh, I was going to see different physicians. And I was told some things that were really ridiculous. Like my lips swelled up really bad and it would swell up in the midst of conversation. And I would be like, I'm the nutty professor. And friends or family members would open their eyes really big and nod their head like what is going on i'd go to the er they'd ask me if i had an allergic reaction i'd tell them no they would still give me some kind of um antihistamine and then they would say okay you don't have an allergy you have something autoimmune going on then i started having random knee pains and i had 64 ounces of fluid removed from my knee it looked like i had a cantaloupe there i could not uh, straighten out my leg then i had swelling on my feet and i was told that i had gout one doctor told me just to continue to squeeze my lip and the circulation would would resolve once my lip was was squeezed to help it and i said this is ridiculous i then i i was a vegan for a while to see if that would help but in 2018 is when it got really bad because I had four months of nonstop bleeding. So it was just every single day. And it wasn't just when I used the bathroom at that point. Now it was just, I was bleeding all day and I was having to use gauze and, and try to manage this because I wasn't even in a lot of pain when I went to use the bathroom and I was holding onto the walls or the toilet paper reams. I would start shaking and sweating profusely and I would get these headaches and I just felt really bad and it was hard to explain. And it was four months of that. And I said, I'm going to a colorectal surgeon because I have to have cancer. Like what else could I have that I'm bleeding all day long? I feel awful. Uh, when I eat, I feel awful. When I don't eat, I feel awful. And I, I, that's what I knew about was colon cancer. And I knew someone with Crohn's disease, honestly, and I've known someone with ulcerative colitis, but neither of those people presented the way that I was presenting. So I didn't connect the dots. Right. When I went with yeah, you you don't connect the dots because these diseases, honestly, you've heard, you just heard all the weird extraintestinal symptoms that I had. I even had mouth ulcers and chronic eye infections. You don't connect that to a stomach disease, right? Right. Yeah. You connect that to what? Yeah, body's going haywire. What the heck is going on? And I remember uh, saying, I'm not going to tell this doctor that I have cancer. I'm going to tell him everything that's going on with me, and we're going to figure it out because. I shouldn't help him do, do his job. I'll just tell him I have an, an infection of some sort. That's what I believe. And I went in. I shared all that stuff with him. He even did a rectal exam. And he says, I don't see anything. And at this point, I'm so confused and, and kind of baffled at how he didn't see anything when I know what I'm managing every single day. And three weeks later, I had these abscesses that were bursting around my rectum also. Three weeks later, I ended up having a fever. It went all the way up to 104.3. I was back in his office and an abscess burst right there uh, on his, his table. And I ended up going into the emergency surgery the next morning. And that began the pathway for me to actually get to a diagnosis. And from there, it took about four months. And I was diagnosed in October 2018. Wow. Wow. You mentioned something about when you approached the doctor and you were saying, you know, I'm going to tell him the symptoms but I'm going to let him yes. diagnose me. And I think a lot right. of people are apprehensive going into the doctor. You don't want to, you know, be the doctor. You actually want to know what's going yeah. on with all those right. symptoms. So can you talk to us a little bit about your thought process, about how you yeah. confronted your doctor or you firmly told them, you know, this is what what's happening and the other yes. solutions weren't working? 
Sure. When I went to the physician, I was already reluctant. I didn't, I did not want to go to the doctor, but I said, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go as an expert of myself and I can know myself, but if I'm sharing this with you, you should be able to tell me what this falls in line with. And we have so many resources now because we have Google, we have the internet and we can look and we can search, but all of that information isn't good information. So I might not know what the diagnosis is, but I certainly know what's happening to my body better than anyone else can. Uh, and I, so I, I keep notes. I like track those things. And when I went to my doctor, I was very clear about what was going on with me. And honestly, I will say that he ignored that the first time around when I shared that it wasn't until after I had that abscess and I ended up in surgery because I went into several surgeries after that. Did my doctor and I have a real come to Jesus moment where I said, look, I have shared with you what is going on with me. And if you can't trust me as the patient to be able to relay what's happening to help you better support me, then we can't be in this partnership. And I think a lot of people feel like if I can just get to a doctor, even if they're giving me information that may not be the best, even if they're sending me spiraling or they're sending me down a pathway that doesn't feel right for me, I have to stick to it because I don't have any other options. But you have options and you can fire your doctor if that relationship isn't working, because this is a partnership. You should be doing your job and being be able to convey what's happening and share that aspect. And they should be able to listen and say, hey, let me process this. You know what? I'm not, I'm not fully equipped to, to give you an explanation now, but let me do some research. Let me connect with some of my colleagues because they are practicing medicine. And in practice, you don't always know what the execution should be. Yes. You said something so important about being a partner with your doctor. And I think that's yes. the mentality that we should adapt as, especially Black women. Yes who, you yes. know, we know ourselves firsthand, like you said. So we know what's going on with our body, but we just want to be heard. Yes. Um, I'm yes. Really, in a relationship. Yes, yes, yes. That's a great way to look at it. And I'm, I'm taking this in for myself. When mm -hmm. I go visit the doctor and I'm feeling funny and I know it's more than what they're saying it is. Um, yes. So yeah. can you help break down the first sign that you knew something wasn't right. Like, okay, this doctor isn't listening to me. You know, I feel like I'm being misdiagnosed. Um, where, what, what kind of feel or what signs did you get? Because I feel like it's hard to tell when you, you know, you don't know if your doctor is taking you serious or not. Well, the first thing for me was when I came in with this list of crazy symptoms, it was were, that were all over the place. And then I know, knew for sure, I know I'm bleeding and I knew that I had been bleeding and I was going to be bleeding when I left his office. And he said, he didn't see anything. That was, that was a, a sign for me that something wasn't right. But I asked, I said, what, okay, you don't see anything great. So what do we do from here? And he said he would run some tests. So I was comforted by the fact that there would be some level of uh, research that would be done on me to understand maybe if there were infl inflammatory markers or if there was something that looked off in my blood that he was going to look over that and that was going to signal something. Unfortunately, it didn't. And it took me getting worse with those abscesses. And I had a golf ball size abscess in my rectum. And that is what led to us, him being more of an investigator. And to, to the physician's credit, I think that there are a lot of people where they don't understand that, that come and they don't understand the state of a patient's mental health. 
Although I don't always think that that is the, the point of entry, but there are some biases that physicians have. And sometimes it's with within what their scope has been, who have they engaged with, what are they used to seeing, what are the patterns, even though every patient should be individualized, they have that breadth of knowledge for them. And so I think that they can often conduct these new patients or new relationships in that space, not realizing that I am unique, you need to deal with me as me, and not the same way you have managed another patient. And and this is why I felt so comfortable even circling back to my physician saying, hey, if we can't work this together, if we can't be in this partnership, then I don't feel safe with you. And any relationship with someone is treating you, they're managing your medication, they're delivering medication, they're doing surgery, they're seeing parts of your body that you can't even see. And you don't trust me and I don't trust you. This is not going to work. And I, I, I think that there's been triggers of questionable uh, uh, delivery of my healthcare throughout my life, but I still trusted the physician. And I'm not someone who didn't have great insurance. I, I did have great insurance. I have access to physicians. I can communicate well, and I am health literate. So a lot of times with our community, they pr- pr- project those challenges as the reasons why we're not getting adequate health care. But to me, my reasons were that I'm a woman of color and I'm a woman. You know, those are the things that are often dismissed about what the challenges are that we're facing and being a woman and being a woman of color is another lens because we're going to minimize the pain. It may not be as, as bad as she's saying, and maybe she doesn't really know what she's talking about. Maybe she's not clear. And at this point in my, my, my journey as a patient, I have very strong relationships with my providers and they trust me and I trust them. So it's a very successful relationship for me. Yeah, yeah, that is important, especially the point of, you know, the doctors have a lot of insight on your body. So it's important that you trust the person with your life, pretty much. Um, The people that are watching, um, you know, they may be experiencing something similar or have in the past. We, We would love to know how we can be protected from being misdiagnosed or not heard. It's always important, Jasmine, to listen to your body. And I encourage everyone, but especially young adults, because young adults, and and when I say young adults, I mean like people under 40. Um, I, I encourage you all, especially under 30, to pay attention because you're in a space in your life where it's like, oh, I'm great. Everything's fine. Everything's gonna remain fine until it just doesn't. And you have to listen to these things. Like if there's a, a ache in your joints, if you're noticing when you eat certain things, it's triggering triggering food of uh, uh, response or it's triggering pain or adverse reaction, like using the bathroom frequently, or if you're drinking alcohol and you're seeing that there's a response to this because there could be an allergy there, there's all of these triggers that we don't pay attention to or we minimize because we count it as, oh, this is just a part of life. Oh, this is just happenstance. But our bodies start to speak to us very early. And mine certainly was speaking to me as a child, but I didn't have the breadth of knowledge to understand that long-term bathroom use was not normal. I I wasn't, I was too young and my family wasn't equipped with that breadth of experience to understand that either. So you have to listen. I I say that even if you think it's a one-off because you'll go back like I did after I got diagnosed and I'm like, oh my gosh, this happened and that happened. And I remember this. So start to listen because you are the closest relationship to your body that you will ever have. Mm 
So no one on the outside can tell you that I'm noticing my hair's thinning. You know, I notice that I get a chronic ear pain whenever this happens or when I wake up. What is that? These are things that we need to, to pay attention to. Mouth ulcers or ulcers and like little little abscesses or, or bumps in your nose. Like it it's it lends to different things. And there's so many autoimmune diseases and there's so many rare conditions that we don't often even get diagnosed with because we don't pay attention or we don't know who to go to or we don't even think it's an issue. Yes, that is, that is absolutely true. And I want to go back to what you were saying before about you being a woman and a, a woman of color. Those are two things, you know, different fights that we have to battle yes. and we have no control over. And we didn't choose to yes. be you know, this person. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your experience as a black woman and the quality of care through your diagnosis that you received? I believe that I did not get properly assessed or diagnosed as a child, as a 13-year-old, because I'm a woman of color. My mom had me when she was 19, so she came in as this vibrant young Black woman with her child who historically this was a white facing disease. So there was, there was already that lens that didn't allow us to get properly diagnosed early on. Some people have, but many have not. They have your journeys and years, 10 plus years to actually get diagnosed. But I believe that that was the first challenge is that my mom came in as a young woman with her child. They were black and they can't have the disease. So we're not even going to factor them into getting assessed for that. So that was a gate, a barrier right there, just the entry. As I got older, I believe that it was a space of, well, maybe she just doesn't know what she's talking about. It doesn't look that bad to me. Uh, it can't be that bad when my husband would be the one finding me sleeping next to our, our bathroom or in the bathroom because I wasn't feeling well and having to carry me or pick me up. And, and I couldn't even explain a lot of the symptoms that I was managing because I didn't even know that they were indicative of something more severe, like a chronic digestive condition. Wow. Wow. That is a story. And I'm so curious to know where you are now. How does your health care look? And are you still battling, you know, the, the, the diagnosis? So let's backtrack a little bit because this is Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week. So I want to explain a little bit about what Crohn's and Colitis is. So Crohn's and ulcerative colitis are under the umbrella term inflammatory bowel disease. They are two chronic digestive disorders and they can affect, Crohn's disease mainly affects the entire GI tract. And what is that? That's from your mouth all the way down to your anus. So that's why I had like mouth ulcers and I had these other challenges because it doesn't just stop in the stomach. It's all the way down. And these diseases are not just isolated to the stomach. It's their chronic inflammatory. So the arthritis, uh, the, um, other mobility issues, the urgency that comes with that, the joint pains. I mean, there are so many things, the mental fatigue and the fog and maybe ear aches. I mean, there's so many different challenges with digestive disorders because this is an autoimmune chronic condition. A lot of people can't see the battle. This is why it's also considered disability, uh, but they don't see the battle that patients like myself actually are enduring. Another challenge with, with these diseases that a lot of people think that IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, and IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, are the same, and they're not. Uh, 
IBS, while it can be extremely tough and severe, it's a more milder syndrome. But inflammatory bowel disease, it's uncurable. You do have to be on some level of medication, usually to manage the disease. The, the disease can get progressive uh, because it is lifelong right now. And uh, the challenge is you, you may need surgery, you may need uh, medic, therapeutic medication, and you may have to have food restrictions to manage these disorders. So I will share with you in all honesty, I am still managing. One thing that when you're in a great space with the disease and it's, it's rested and it's not active, if you go into remission. I am not in remission. I did not get diagnosed until 2018. So I always say that I've been, it took me almost 30 years to get proper, properly diagnosed. And I have been on a list of therapeutics that unfortunately have not been successful for me. And uh, I was not diagnosed until I had a very complicated, severe version of the surgery. I mean, I'm sorry, of the disease. And I've, I have fistula. So I have perianal fistulizing disease for my Crohn's disease. And I won't go into all the details, but you can definitely look it up. Yeah. But people, yes, they're usually diagnosed at a more severe state. And unfortunately, I was. And from that, though, it, it allowed me to birth color of Crohn's and chronic illness. And it allowed me to create um, the very best lemonades out of lemons. And I, I know that had I not been faced with this amazing journey, as tough as it is, I would not have been in, in a position to create something that changes the tra trajectory of others. So I always am grateful, regardless of how challenging this is. And I have many challenging days. I, I see hope for our community members. I see hope for the future in advancing science through actual therapeutics that will work for communities of color because our d disease is so severe in advance. And I see a lot of partnerships being birthed who want to do this. Scientists and researchers that are connecting and engaging with us, asking what they can do, and even pointing us to more black and brown specific education and research. Yes. And you have a hand in advocacy now that you've experienced this have you seen any changes or I'm sure you've impacted tons. You're impacting me and I'm learning a lot uh, more about this, but um, you have any feedback or something from someone who may have been personally touched by the work that you're doing now um, in your organization? You know, Jasmine, honestly, that's what I've, I've been resilient because I didn't know I had a disease. So I had to get up every day. And it's just I think it's the the black woman armor. You know, we get up, we do what we have to do and deal with the consequences of that later. And at least now I know that I have a disease that I'm managing. I have a health condition. But what I will say is that with that. We have some very, very resilient community members, but they strengthen me. They they fuel me to endure and to keep going and to keep working. And we've seen a lot of stories and people that have shared how Kochi has really impacted their lives for the good. We have over 30 ambassadors and they're advocates and they're speaking about their stories from non-medical switching to step therapy to medical uh, equity, medical nutrition equity and access to actual uh, food supplements to help them process while they can't eat regular food because it causes them so much pain. They can drink. They can do internal nutrition. And I've learned so much. I, I initially shied away from the organization because I said, I'm not a physician. And I felt the Lord say to me, go with the strength you have. Go with what I've given you because you've built business. And this is a space that people can be built up to be strengthened, to change the trajectory. And that's what they've been doing. And uh, we, we've 
we participate in different spaces with policy and we're really shifting what the narrative looks like to be black with digestive disorders. Yes, that is impactful. And we value people like you and your organization who are making a way to bring awareness to things that, you know, we have no idea about if we haven't personally experienced it firsthand. Um, I did want to ask, is there some things that you can share with black women that we should know when we're speaking to our healthcare professional, whether it is uh, something, you know, like this, that has been happening for a long time, or if I do get a sudden ill feeling, how can I approach my healthcare professional? And what can I say? What should I, you know, prepare for that conversation? We actually have a guide that I I, I worked on um, to help create for our community members called the Confident Conversations Guide. And this is actually something that if someone connects with us, we can send to them, but it has questions and it has tips and it has information that you should know even about understanding your bill, about asking certain questions to your provider before they can exit the room. Because sometimes we feel like they're asking, uh, do you have any more questions? But they have their hand on the door and they're getting ready to leave. And we're now flooded and, and flustered because we can't even think of questions fast enough and we feel like they're leaving anyway. But I would encourage anyone to who's looking for support like that to go to our website and download the Confident Conversations Guide. And it helps you to ask questions about your provider to your providers, but also about your treatment, about next steps, about contacting and engaging with them. Uh, one thing I would always encourage someone to ask, especially if they're seeing a provider who is not Black, um, do you have any familiarity with working with and supporting Black patients? That is because a great question. That gives context. Have you, have you treated Black patients? Have you treated Black women? And that right there, it's even going to, it's either going to cause the physician to uh, be more compassionate or defensive. And yeah. usually what I, my experience is, is that they're more compassionate and they might say, yes, I have, or, you know, what? I don't have a lot of black women that I've supported, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to support you. That doesn't mean that I can't provide quality and exceptional care to you. And that right there, that alone builds a very strong entry point and pathway with you trusting each other. That is a great tip. And the first question I'll ask my provider if I'm ever in the middle of switching doctors and I feel uncomfortable. So thank you for that. I hope everyone can, you know, use your organization as a resource if they do feel like they need guidance to talk to their healthcare professional confidently. Um, I'm so happy that we had you on today and I hope that everyone feels empowered and inspired to listen to their bodies and, you know, upfront with their um, physician. So thank you, Melody, so much. Thank you, Jasmine. You're welcome.